0: Hey, welcome to Access. John here. Today we're continuing our celebration of Advent by talking about our second major theme, joy. Joy is readily accessible to all believers. However, have you ever met someone who should be full of joy, yet somehow they aren't? Is that someone you? What is the source of joy in the life of a believer? We'll be talking about all that and more in today's message. So turn your Bibles to John chapter 16, verses 16 through 24, because today's message is entitled, Joy in Advent. Well, today we are continuing our celebration of Advent by focusing on the second major theme, and that is the theme of joy. Now again, Advent means coming, and uh, Christians celebrate the Christmas season as the coming of Christ into the world, but we also anticipate the second coming of Christ, and so that's, um, that's another... Advent that we look forward to. Now, I know typically that there's a lot of confusion and a lot of maybe misinformation of what you hear about Jesus around Christmas time, but one thing is certain, and that is that as a believer, Christmas is a time of great joy. Now, um, on a side note, when I was a kid, I remember always looking forward to Christmas. And one of the reasons why is because um, we would go to my grandma's house which was a long way from away, away from where we lived, and um, my mom would always make one of my most favorite desserts. Um, it's called Pumpkin Swirl. I don't know if you ever had it, um, and I oddly renamed it Pumpkin Squirrel for some reason, and I don't remember why, but that's what I always knew it as. I guess that just um, kind of shows what kind of an odd kid I was, but for a believer Christmas time is a time of great joy, not because we get to enjoy festive treats like candy canes or pumpkin lattes or eggnog. It's because uh, it's not because of the presents. Um, it, you know, um, it's not because of the time we get off work from school. All those, all those things are nice, the reason why we have great joy around Christmas time um, has to do what the Christmas Carol communicates: "Joy to the world, the Lord has come." Now, our whole belief system is centered around the fact that God has revealed himself to the world. And when I say our whole belief system, I don't just mean our our belief on Sunday or our belief in God or our belief in the Bible. I mean our entire worldview is shaped um, around the fact that God has revealed himself to us. Now, our belief in God directly relates to what we believe about science and philosophy and medicine and, and morality Uh, And this week, I was sitting in a lecture from my first class in my master's program, and the uh, professor asked the students, why should we read the Bible? And there were a variety of answers that people gave. For example, it's God's book, or because it's the truth, or even uh, because God said so. That's why we should read it. And the professor's question wasn't surprising. Um, He said, yeah, but how do we know that? And um, people who don't believe in God would certainly argue this question, why should I read the Bible? And while people who believe in God can generally agree that they should read the Bible, many people don't know why. Many believers are uncertain as to why they should read God's word. And because I was listening online and I couldn't answer the professor, I had a hard time sitting still because I believe I have the answer. Um, a person doesn't need to have the Bible to believe in God. Um, for example, my great grandfather was, wasn't was reading the Bible when he was saved. He was out squirrel hunting and um, he said that God revealed himself to him. Now, we, ha- we believe in God because God has revealed himself to us. God revealed himself to Abraham long before there was any kind of written word of God. He revealed himself to Isaac and Jacob and Joseph in and, and similar ways. Um, God revealed himself to Moses before Moses wrote the book of Genesis. So God continued to reveal himself outside of scripture to men like David and Solomon and Elijah and Jeremiah, and women like like, um, you know, uh, Esther and, and even, um, Ruth. I mean, God revealed himself outside of scripture and God continued to reveal himself outside uh, of scripture, um, until Christ came. In fact, God chose to reveal himself in person to the 12 disciples through the person of Jesus Christ. And I tell you these things because you don't have to have the Bible to believe in God. Which is why nowhere in Scripture does it set out to prove the existence of God. Its only purpose is for God to continue to reveal Himself to those who already believe, to those whom God has already revealed Himself. Uh, which is why we should read it, because God has chosen to reveal Himself through Scripture, and because its central character is God Himself, in that it is Jesus, in, in, He is Jesus Christ. So we are incredibly blessed to have Scripture And it can be a great source of joy in the life of a believer. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom, whom he made the universe. The Bible is about Jesus Christ. He is the central figure. But just for a minute, imagine what it must have been like to have Jesus standing right in front of us. Imagine our joy if we could see and touch and audibly hear God with our own eyes, touch him with our own hands, and hear him with our own ears. Now when you begin to picture that in your mind, you will begin to get a glimpse of what joy the first disciples must have experienced. God is here. He's come. Emmanuel, God is with us. Now imagine their surprise surprised when Jesus said the first words we're going to read in today's text. I'm in John chapter 16. I'm going to read verse 16 first. It says, in a little while, he says, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Now as children of God, I read this passage to show you that as children of God, we have every reason to experience joy, but we often allow the heavy burdens of this life to make it easy to forget it. Um, and Jesus certainly dropped something heavy on his disciples. He told them that he was about to leave them. Now, I'm certain that when Jesus told them this, that he had two meanings in mind. I think the first meaning was the cross, and the second meaning was when he would ascend into heaven and prepare a place for them. But could you imagine the heartache of the disciples? Could you imagine what tough news that must have been? They waited their entire lives to find God, and here he was. They left everything to follow him. And now he was about to leave? Listen, to what do they say in, in verses 17 and 18? It says, Some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Now, at this moment in Scripture, I think it's easy to see the children in each of these men. Perhaps you've experienced a scenario that sounds like this Are we there yet? No, we'll be there in a little while. Oh, how long's a little while? I'm sure you've experienced that. I know I have. In these moments, you really can't give a satisfactory answer to a child. You could try to explain the distance you're going to have to travel or how many minutes it will take to get there. You could explain the conditions on the road or what is standing in the way of getting there sooner. You could even mention that if you had left sooner, you would be there by now. However, none of these explanations are going to satisfy a child's impatience at at, at wanting the wait to be over. Now, You should notice it as we continue reading that Jesus doesn't really stop to explain how long a little while actually is. Aside from the fact that Jesus had repeatedly told him at this point that that man would come to take his life, but he would take it back after three days. But, like children often do, the disciples seem to forget that part. Even later on, Jesus doesn't explain how long he's going to be gone. As he's ascending up into heaven, you know, the disciples want to know, like, well, how long are we going to be by your, by ourselves? Now, could you imagine the look on his disciples' faces when they asked, you know, uh, you know, how long are you going to be? And if Jesus were to respond, well, you know, it's going to take at least 2,000 years. Yeah, that would have been some pretty rough news. But keep in mind, just how you can't give a satisfactory answer to a child in the backseat of a car We won't receive a satisfactory answer even if we wanted to know how long we would be waiting for his return. This is mostly because our sorrow and our grief isn't because of the uncertainty, but because of the separation. I'll explain what I mean in just a second. But when when it comes to joy, we, like little children in the backseat of a car, can choose to focus on the heavy burdens or we can look for a source of joy. I mean, we can choose to think this is taking too long or or I really need to use the bathroom or brother keeps hitting me and he won't stay on his side or I'm really hungry or I'm so bored. And we can completely miss out on the joy that can be found on the journey. And on a terribly long trip to grandma's house, we can instead to choose to, to focus on the joy that can be found in the journey itself or we can focus on all our problems. We can choose to think, you know, we have even an opportunity to choose to think about how awesome it's going to be when we actually get there. Now, if you can follow the analogy, just couple all of that with the fact that the Almighty Creator God has chosen to reveal Himself to us. We believe because He's revealed Himself, and that is such an incredible thing, and I hope we never lose sight of that. He has chosen to be known and to know. Now, that that is an incredible source of joy in the life of a believer. But as I said, the sorrow isn't because of the uncertainty that we feel, but because of the separation. I'm going to read verses 19 and 20. This is what um, it says in in John 16, 19 and 20. It says, Jesus saw that they, they wanted to ask him about this. And so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. I'm glad he didn't stop there. He says, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. The reason why Jesus' disciples were upset was not because of the time period, but because of the separation that they would feel from Christ. And so I just want to point out that the source of sorrow, our source of sorrow, is an absence of Christ. It's because of the absence of Christ. Jesus knew he was laying a heavy burden on his disciples. He knew his words brought pain, which is why he follows up with them. He doesn't just leave them. He doesn't abandon us to our grief. He doesn't tell us, man up or build a bridge and get over it. He knew that while he was gone, this would be a source of heartache. That separation was going to to cause tremendous pain to his disciples and, and this heartache, it found its epicenter when Jesus was taken away from them and beaten and falsely accused and condemned and crucified. And he died on a cross and he was, he was put into, into a tomb under heavy guard. That was the epicenter of their heartache. Just imagine the heartache of John, a man who had left everything to follow Jesus, and as our author writes about this, he's, he's re, re, recounting what had happened. Just imagine as he would look up and see his teacher, his master, his friend, even his God hanging on a cross, beaten almost beyond recognition. The sorrows of this life are caused by the absence of Christ. Think for just a second about all of our heavy, heavy burdens, Think about what, what, is, what is troubling you right now? What are you dealing with that's causing you a significant amount of sorrow? Is it your family? Are they you causing are they causing you a significant amount of stress, embarrassment, or, or heartache? Is it your marriage? Are you currently experiencing a rift between yourself and your spouse and you're not sure what to do about it? Is it your finances? Are you swimming in a sea of debt and uncertainty about what's going to happen? Is it your pride? If you're honest with yourself, do you look up and and realize that most of your problems because because you've been unwilling to admit that you're wrong? Maybe it's your health. Maybe you're suffering from a condition that the doctors can't explain and you have no hope of it getting any better. What are your heavy burdens? Well, wouldn't it be fair to say that each of those sorrows is because of an absence of Christ, either in your heart and mind or in someone else's? I mean, at that moment, at this moment, you could have others who are making your life a living hell. I, I certainly have been there. Isn't that because they either don't know Christ or because they are running away from God or worshiping someone or something else? Maybe, Maybe you feel like your life is a living hell because of, Your circumstances. But think about that. Isn't it it really because you either don't know Christ or because you're running away from him and you're worshiping something or someone else? Listen, true joy is present no matter the circumstances, and it's readily available for all believers. We just have to abandon worshiping something or someone else or, or being disappointed by our worship in them, and we need to take hold of that joy instead. Now, I say that knowing full well what it's like to battle depression. While I was in the thick of my depression, I told people, listen guys, I'm not at odds with God, yet I'm still in my depression. And as it turns out, what I discovered was that I wasn't really worshiping God. I was worshiping something else. I was worshiping church growth, or rather a lack thereof, at least not as quick of church growth as I would have liked to have seen. You see, When we worship someone or something else, it sets us up. We cannot feel joy when we worship anything but God. If we worship our finances or our relationships with other people or even ourselves or maybe good health or being young, whatever it is, we cannot feel joy because it doesn't lead to joy. You see, we have a choice about who or what we're going to put our focus on, who or what we're going to worship. And we will allow, if we allow the, holy, the heavy burdens, excuse me, if we allow the heavy burdens of this life to rob us of our joy, then we will, uh, and we choose not to focus on Christ, we will not have joy despite our circumstances. To which one might think, well, you know, I see the better option. I'm just not sure how to get there. You know, I want to take hold of joy. I just don't know how. Well, listen to what what Jesus said in, in John 19, 21 through 24. This is what he says. He says, A woman giving birth to a child has pain because of her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets about the anguish because of her joy that a child has been brought into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name, and until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. If you will put your eyes on Christ, we have the assurance of God himself that our grief will turn to joy. Jesus gives a perfect analogy of how to help his disciples understand how their grief will turn to joy. He mentions how a woman goes into labor and feels the most excruciating pain of her life. Yet somehow, after experiencing the full wrath of God, when she holds her baby, she has great joy. Even to the point of saying later on in her life, Boy, I want to do that all over again. To which I would ask, Are you crazy? Do you not remember the miserable state you were in for at least six months of your pregnancy? Then, of course, there are those kind of women that other women hate that have a very pleasant pregnancy and never have a problem in the world, which I can assure you, my wife Erin was not one. But you see, when Erin gave birth to to Christian, I, I literally thought, I literally thought she was going to die because of the pain that she was in. She was starting to fade. Yet later on, she looked at me and she said, I miss being pregnant. I didn't say it, but I certainly thought it, are you out of your mind, woman? I might have said it, I just don't remember. Jesus nailed it on the head when he said, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child has been brought into this world. This is how it will be with us. It's a perfect analogy of how it will be with us when we are with Jesus in eternity. It's even a picture of the reality that we can have here whenever we're in the abundant life with Christ. Jesus gives his disciples four assurances in verse 22. He says, now is your time of grief. Yes, now is the time and it hurts. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Now, I think we can picture Jesus saying the very same thing to us because our world is full of sorrow. We're in this time of separation. We don't get to see Jesus face to face. Now is the time of your grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. He even gives a greater assurance in verse 33 when he says, in this world you will have trouble. Yeah, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, the sorrows of this life, Jesus has overcome. So whatever you're dealing with, that you're frustrated about, or you're angry, if you put your eyes on Christ, know this, that Christ has overcome those things. And to top it all off, Jesus even gives yet another assurance. He says in verses 23 and 24, I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Well, okay, how does that work? Because, you know, I've I've always ended my prayers with, in Jesus' name, I pray. I guess that was how I was taught to pray. And yet there have been times when several things that I've asked for, I I, I haven't received. Am I doing things wrong? Did I misunderstand? Or is Jesus a liar? And to understand what Jesus meant by this verse, I, I really think it's helpful to go back to the original Greek on this one. The word uh, for in Greek for Jesus' name is onumati, which means name, authority, and cause. In other words, as ambassadors of Christ, you know, asking for things in Jesus' name isn't just tacking, in Jesus' name I pray, amen, to the end of our prayers. To pray in Jesus' name means to pray in his authority and cause. In other words, if Jesus was asking, what would he pray for? Would Jesus really be asking for that new bass boat? Would he really be asking to win the lottery? He doesn't need those things. Here's a couple good questions to ask when you're considering whether or not your prayers are really asked in Jesus' name or not. Think about it. If God gave you exactly what it was you were asking for, would it benefit the life of anyone but yourself? Would what you're asking for really bring glory to God? You know, I have family members that I have continually prayed that God would reveal himself to. And when we think, you know, that that certainly could benefit the life of someone else and bring God glory. Except when I'm honest with myself, I realize that I usually pray that prayer out of frustration. The reason I'm asking is not really because I'm concerned with the relationship with the Lord, but because... I don't want to have to deal with their immaturity anymore. They're causing me stress and frustration, and I know they just need Jesus. And if they found Jesus and they put their eyes on Him, then they they would stop this behavior that they're doing, or stop putting me through things. Or I will ask, you know, just to, to relieve myself of any kind of guilt or 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 any kind of heartache or worry, stress. I don't want to worry about them in the, in the future. I want their eternal security to be secure, so I don't have to worry about them. You see, I often ask for me, not for them. And as ugly as this truth is, I know that's not really the prayer prayed in Jesus' name. Our grief will turn to joy when we live and pray in the authority and cause of Christ. You see, one of the most beautiful things in this passage is that God has and will continue to reveal himself to us. And he will leave us with questions for now, because now is our time of grief. One day, though, we won't have sorrows. We won't even have questions. Jesus told his disciples, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Which kind of blows holes in my list of things I want to ask God when I get to heaven. However, the reason why isn't because it will be be a press conference where we have to hold our questions for all eternity. The reason why we won't have to ask is because we will know. God will reveal himself to us in all of his entirety. And we will worship him. This assurance can be a source of great joy in the life of a believer. We just have to leave our sorrows behind. And and here's, here's the truth about our sorrows. No matter what sorrows we might be facing, the night can be dark. But in the darkest of our night, we can know by the assurance of God Himself that joy comes in the morning. The first church I served as a youth pastor in, I had a, there was a couple, uh, James and Louise, and my wife and I, we loved them very much. And one day, day we got the news that they were in a horrible car accident. Now James escaped with just a few minor cuts, bumps, and bruises, but his wife, Louise. Because of the impact, she hit her head on the window, giving her a pretty serious con- concussion. And and um, we went to see her in the hospital. She was sitting up in her bed, and she just thanked us over and over and over again for coming. And we were happy to be there. Except Aaron and I couldn't. Could, we could tell that something wasn't quite right. We knew something was wrong. See, because of her concussion, she kept resetting what she was able to remember. She had about three minutes that she remembered, and then after that three minutes, she just reset. So she ended up asking us the same questions over and over and over again because she couldn't remember that she'd already asked us. And we, we didn't want to be rude, but when you, when you ask the same question, we're like, yes, yes, ma'am, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, you're going to ask me that question again? Okay, um, yes, yes, ma'am, I'll play along. But after like the 15th or 16th time, you're just like, yes, 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 I, you already asked me that, yes. But she, you know, not only was she asking questions, she kept saying this phrase over and over and over again that we will never forget. In fact, every time we hear it, we think of her because when she said it, she said it to us every time as if it were the first time she had said it. And we needed to hear it. What happened, what happened is she would consider the wreck, consider the damage done to her vehicle, consider the damage done to her own body. And she would say, well, this too shall pass. Over and over and over again she said that to us, well, this too shall pass. And I and I bring that up because maybe we could benefit from a severe concussion when considering our struggles. In our heartache and in our sadness, we have the assurance of God himself that this too shall pass. One day all our sorrows will pass, and that brings joy to the life of a believer. This is temporary. We don't have to deal with this forever. One day we will have our joy made complete. A joy that Jesus said can never be taken away. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Runge in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast that so you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.